Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Jordan trying to shake off starts. Oh, what a What up, what up, what up, everybody? Welcome to an episode of the Know Your Roots podcast. Um, I'm Robbie. He's Rowett. We're here to talk some NBA bubble action. I guess, is the bubble bursting or is the bubble forming? I'd say it's forming. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the bubble bursts when we have the title crowned or the champion crowned. But yeah, we'll see. I, I'm glad we can get yet another decade where some bubble has burst. So there we go. There's always some kind of drama, whether it's a lockout or uh, you know, a, a labor dispute or a pandemic. So there's always something. And it's 2020 is another example in a long list of sports history events where you kind of just got to deal with it. Um, if your listeners here aren't familiar, um, the Know Your Roots podcast is the more sports-centric version of the Sneaker History podcast. Um, we've been taking a little break from this as there haven't been any sports. So it makes it a little hard uh, to talk about um, what's going on and how it might tie back into shoes when the only real sport is, well, like Japanese baseball and Eastern European soccer. Like, yeah. Exactly. Korean baseball and their unique mascots and the British premiership, along with most European soccer, is what's kept most of us engaged. I don't know if they've adopted new fans because of the fact that now that the American sports are back in play, I think we'll start seeing the familiar allegiances that we're all comfortable with. But it was a nice time pass. The boys are back in town, as the old rock song would say. But why don't you do a a quick little re- why, why don't I let you to re? Why don't I allow you to reintroduce yourself? His name is Ro, and um, go ahead and just like give our listeners who maybe not have tuned in in a bit, um, is a, a little bit about you, and then we'll get going in here talking about some predictions, some probabilities of a champion, and all that kind of fun stuff. Thanks for the introduction, Robbie. Uh, I am Robbie's co-host on the Know Your Roots podcast. Robbie and I met because we've got a lot of familiar friends and we both realize we have a similar sense of humor and more importantly, a similar attitude towards the games that we love, specifically basketball. And then there's a sneaker connection, which makes us a part of that sneaker history family. So looking forward to having that discussion that Robbie was saying about mostly basketball topics, but I'm sure we'll pepper in some other things that stay true to the sneaker history identity. Because as you guys are aware now, with the games coming back on, I think we're going to start seeing a rollout of certain product and people getting their sneaker lines back in tow. Is that accurate to say, Robbie? I definitely think business will be going more um, more back towards normal in the sneaker world now that we have shoes 
and stuff to watch. It, it's it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. Um, so let's kind of give our listeners here who are maybe just familiar with the idea of the NBA bubble, but don't know much about how everything's going to be working. So the following 22 teams are going to be representing and competing for a chance to win an asterisk NBA championship. Who knows it'll actually be asterisk or not, but it's, it's, it's been a point of contention from a lot of people I've been hearing. So in the Eastern Conference, we have the Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, Pacers, 76ers, um, Nets, Magic, Wizards. And then the Western Conference, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Jazz, Thunder, Rockets, Mavericks, Grizzlies, Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and Suns. A lot from the West Coast. So there's definitely – there's two more teams on the West Coast than there are on the East that's that are being represented. I believe so. And of these teams, you might be you might have heard some of those um, franchise names and thought, "There's no way in hell the Sacramento Kings are going to be winning, or the Pelicans, or the Washington Wizards." But the NBA decided to let a couple extra teams in to try to figure out who's going to be truly the eighth seed in each respective conference. Um, Rowan, I don't know if you're f- familiar with how like seeding is going to work or how the first part of, um, you know, the, the, res- I won't say resumption of games, but when I games are the appropriate word to use, why not? Gonna work until we have the first round of playoffs, August 17th. Do you know how that's going to work? Yes, I think so, Robbie. So what happens is, like you'd mentioned, we've got a distinct number of possibilities coming from the West, but the East is pretty cut and dry. And the point from the East is the fact that we've included the top nine teams. And the only reason we would see a potential playing game is if the ninth seed is within four games of the eighth seed by the end of this eight game mini season ramp up. So obviously that's something we're going to have to watch from the East in the sense that it'll just be the Harry Potter Bowl between the Orlando Magic and the Washington Wizards. If the Wizards can kind of claw at that number and get it down to the four, then we'll see some sort of playoff series between the two of them. In the West, because I think you and I are in Portland, we have a little bit more vested interest because we're seeing Memphis currently in the eight seed and New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, all Phoenix in theory, have the possibility of catching up and hitting that magic number of four. But we'll see what happens because I think at the end of it, it'll come down to three teams for that eight seed between Portland, New Orleans, as well as the current incumbent Memphis. Yeah, that's where I think the West Coast, Western Conference, pardon me, is the only conference of the two that's going to really have some some slugfest for that eighth seed. Just because we saw... Portland could too, like constantly breaking down and putting it back together right before the season ended. Well, guys got put on pause and the Pelicans really starting to rush towards, um, I would say rush towards the playoffs with a lot of momentum and the Suns started out the season very well, kind of fizzled out, but they were still in it. So I think there's a lot of interesting drama to be had on, you know, the Western conference side, but the East man, like, I, especially in the East, I really don't care whether or not it's the Wizards or the Magic. It's just they're going to be fodder for whoever plays the Bucks, right? Like it doesn't really make a difference. No, 
not at all. I think, especially in recent memory, that 1-8 matchup in the East, which always used to be the LeBron James warm-up series, where even LeBron's kind of playing himself into playoff shape, you see that be no more than, let's say, five games, which is that gentleman sweep where even though one team is dominant, there's that unspoken rule between the two teams of, hey, let us at least get one on our home fort, so that way we can support the fans the way they've supported us over the years. And to your point as well, just top to bottom, with the exception of maybe the Lakers, who are at five and a half games uh, ahead of the Clippers in number two, there could be a lot of jostling between teams three to 11 at this point, depending on how hot one of the teams gets. I know right now we see that the Nuggets, Jazz, and Thunder and Rockets are all within two and a half games of each other. So it could be very interesting. And this is a league that's known to have some chicanery near the tail end of the season because teams do like to avoid other teams and matchups are what are going to be essential towards the team's ultimate culmination as a champion. So it'll be fun to watch. But I think the one thing we can safely say is both one seeds are seemingly entrenched in that position. And I say that it's more boring, like for all the points you just pointed out, you know, the typical LeBron warm-up, but it's going to be the Giannis warm-up this year. Um, I don't care. There, there's no like, there's no driving force that makes me want to root for the underdog in the Washington Wizards or the Orlando Magic. Like, cool. Like, I guess the home team in Orlando got in, but that means nothing when you have the possibility on the West Coast of having either like the Clippers versus Zion or the Lakers versus Zion. Like that's prime time, potentially generational television that could be shown on NBA classic 15 years from now. Like Zion's first playoff series versus Kawhi or versus LeBron. Like that could be something for, I want to say the record books, but maybe even more towards like the Bulls Celtics, um, all those overtime series back in like 2009 or something like that, 2009, 2010, where technically it's just another first round series, like cool, but you can definitely have drama and excitement. And um, there's this a lot of action in those early series. If there's the right players, um, literally both in terms of uh, like pedigree um, and how they play on the court, but also um, like how well they translate to, drawing people in to watch the game. So their box office appeal. Absolutely. The box office appeal is one thing, and it would be remiss to say, when you mentioned the Bulls and Celtics, I didn't even think of the more recent version of that rivalry. I was thinking about the fact that we just sat through the last dance during the initial part of this COVID pandemic and watching Michael Jordan score 63 points against that hallowed Boston team in Boston. And there was that groundswell of, okay, he's the next one up, and we're just all biding our time until it's his league. And I think from an Adam Silver perspective as well, you have three really great possibilities in that 1-8 matchup in the West, which has been the bread and butter of this league. I think a lot of fans, public allegiances aside, tend to prefer to watch the West Coast basketball or the Western Conference basketball because the level of competition is stiffer. So even if it's something along the lines of the worst case scenario where we're seeing LeBron take on John Morant, who is probably more than likely going to be the rookie of the year, It's going to be great because we're going to start seeing more stars. And I think the one thing that the NBA does better than almost any other league is their ability to quickly spin up a star. And I can't wait to see who LeBron's first challenger is going to be on the road to that elusive fifth title. Fifth or fourth? Please correct me if I'm wrong. Sorry. It's been a while since we've watched basketball. Two, three. It's going to be number four. Oh, four. Uh, 
number four, but in third different city, which is something Kawhi can do too. And that's a very big, that's a, that's a big milestone for whoever gets to do it. Um, three different cities is just crazy, but being a Laker fan first and Blazer fan second, I would much rather see Zion and Lonzo and Brandon Ingram than Melo, Dame, and CJ McCollum, and a healthy Nurk. Like, that's a way more um, frightening matchup, especially when you think of how much experience Dame and CJ have versus the young and up-and-coming Pelicans. Like, the Blazers made the Western Conference Finals um, two, well, yeah, last season. So they definitely know how to win and they can compete and play with the best of them. Lakers are a little bit depleted and we'll talk more about that when we go over predictions here. And when we go over probabilities, like what, what Vegas thinks, but um, I, I would much rather see Zion play from a Laker perspective than Damon CJ. Cause that's kind of scary. Completely agree. I think the fact that what seems to be the Achilles heel for this Lakers team is handling guards. So now that you've kind of let me know that as a Laker fan first, you're in a sense dreading that. I can't help but push for that because at the end of the day, I do want to see LeBron James succeed and get that fourth title because that's one step closer to challenging the legacy of Jordan. But the fact that New Orleans is still in play and because of the fact that they've had that Laker backbone, it'll be really interesting to see can the young guns of New Orleans get some sort of redemption if they go back to L.A. in that 1-8 matchup. Yeah, so I mean, it's going to be hard because um, maybe Lonzo and Brandon have some insight but the Laker roster has changed so much from before Anthony Davis and post Anthony Davis that I really don't think there's going to be, you know, too much one up they could have. Uh, I think more so LeBron's going to have a one up on Brandon and Lonzo just from an, an experience standpoint. But um, we now have a little bit of a pivot here. I alluded to it a moment ago. The odds. So, like, what what betters the betting population think who's going to win? And let's start off with the most likely, according to betting odds, is the Lakers at plus 200, then Milwaukee at plus 250, Clippers at plus 300, Boston at plus 1,200, Houston at plus 14, Toronto at 1,600, Philly at 2,000, Denver plus 3,000. So th those are the top eight. It's quite alarming, at least in me, to me, that the Lakers would be plus 200 and Denver would be plus 3,000 after skin seeing skinny Nikolai and a depleted Laker roster. So which which one of these stands out? Do you think any of these, um, you know, in the thousands odds teams have a chance to really compete or if that's accurate where it's kind of more of a long shot? No, I would say this, Robbie. I think that looking at the odds, you can clearly see that there's a couple different tiers when it comes to the odds. We've got L.A., Milwaukee, and the Clippers all in that under 500 range where you're still going to net a substantial payday, meaning if you bet 100, you'll get 200 if the Lakers win. And then that second tier where it seems that it's mostly the Eastern Conference and 
second level teams. But for me, the most tasty proposition out of the big three is the fact that it could be Houston at 1400 or Denver at 3000. And part of the reason why is the fact that Houston has decided to go small ball while Denver has decided to go tall ball. And I know Robbie mentioned the fact that Denver played the Los Angeles Lakers and it was a depleted roster. But I think at the end of the day, the Lakers will be ready come playoff season because this looks like the quintessential LeBron team where you've got LeBron, you've got a gluttony of shooters, and then you've got these athletic big men that he always seems to find. So I think they'll be fine from a perspective of the Clippers. You had mentioned earlier that Kawhi, like LeBron, has the opportunity to win a third title in a third city. And this is something where we always hear this clamor about the fact that, you know, this is the mercenary era of the NBA where players aren't loyal to anybody but themselves and their friends. But with these two players, you can actually see some sort of end product come out to that. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens between that inevitable battle of L.A. matchup, because my question to you as a Laker fan and a Clipper hater, in a sense, do you see any team challenging those two teams getting into the Western Conference final? I love how you say that the, you, you phrase that like there's a, a shred of a chance that I'm not a Clipper hater and like straight up hater 100%. So like, no, no wiggle room in that. I am what I am. Um, I really think that Denver has looked so interesting just through a couple scrimmage games with Bull Bull, Mason Plumley. I don't really like in that starting lineup, but um, Skinny Joker, this Bull Bull and Skinny Joker are a really interesting combination. Just because Denver has so many wings, both starting and off the bench, that they can throw around them. So as long as you have like Jamal Murray and those two huge guys, you can throw medium sized players on LeBron or Kawhi and have those two big boys meet him at the rim if they were to penetrate. So I think Denver has a legit chance. I think Philly and Boston have even more of a, of, of a real chance to win it all. And we haven't even brought up Milwaukee. And so we'll come back to them. But um, I would just throw Milwaukee with the Lakers and Clippers. It's like the three true powerhouses. But um, Boston, Philly, and Denver kind of in that next tier below. But Philly, this is when I think they can be really good because you've had a really long break. I think chemistry is going to be um, is going to be hampered across the league. No matter what team you are, chemistry has fallen off just a little bit in the past couple months. So that helps Philly because Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons don't really have the best chemistry anyway. If you want to run an entire quarter where you just say, Embiid, do whatever you want to do, you have a matchup, that could net you 20 points in a quarter. Ben Simmons could do the same thing, but from a playmaking standpoint, help everybody else out. Um, Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris, they can both get really streaky. Um, and not just streaky, but they can do it from many different ways. So they can be streaky shooters, but they can also be really effective driving. So I think having four legit, I would almost put Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris as legit primary secondary scoring options because they definitely were on their own teams. Um, when you have those two as your third and fourth options behind, you know, two of the top 15 players in the league, that's, that's a recipe for success when everybody might have taken a step down in terms of 
cohesiveness. So Philly's never been known to be cohesive from the jump when it comes to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But I think that could really be a benefit. And then there's the Celtics for a very similar, for a very similar reason. They just have four to five really young bodies who can start taking over a game at any point. And when everything is kind of becoming um, jumbled and maybe plays are starting to break down and people are tired from not being in as good a shape as they were pre-break, I think is having that many young bodies at your disposal can be uh, really hectic for other teams. I agree with you on Philly. They are the greatest what-if team to me. And especially with this new development of Ben Simmons using the pandemic to say, why not shoot a couple more threes a game? If he can hit at least, let's say, 33% of his shot, and more importantly, he's not afraid to take those shots, I think it's going to open that floor up for those other guys' scores, like you'd call that in Richardson and Tobias Harris. The other underrated thing about Philly is the fact that the Embiid neutralizer is now on their side because Al Horford is a Philadelphia 76er, and it seemed that whenever he would line up for Boston against Embiid, Horford would always have his way with him despite being the smaller man. So I'm interested to see what a Boston-Philly matchup would look like now because I think right now they're both three and six. So if things held the way we would and we got that first-round matchup, I would really like to see what could Boston do now because their primary defender on Embiid is on the 76er roster. Like you had mentioned about Denver, Boston's got a lot of great wings, and they all have proven the ability to take over a game. I think we're going to see mini leaps from Tatum and Brown. It's just a question of how do they play well with each other now, the fact that there's no Kyrie there. And I want to see who kind of evolves and becomes the alpha. Kemba Walker's a great player, but I think Boston is only going to go as far as Jason Tatum can take them. So it's on Tatum to take that conch and say, I'm the leader of this team. I've learned from the Mamba. I have to show these good basketball habits. But at the same time, when push comes to shove and you need a bucket, I have to be the guy that gets the bucket for Boston. The other team that I would just want to get your take on, even though we didn't really get odds from them, Robbie, is Miami, because they do have Jimmy Butler now and one of my favorite players in the league, Bam Adebayo. And I think if anybody could stop Embiid, it's possibly Bam. But what do you make of Miami's chances, if any? I would definitely put it on the if any side. I would put them on the Houston Rockets type tier where it's very interesting. I think Miami is more interesting than Houston, but they're just not ready for prime time. Houston's taking a step back while Miami is taking a step forward to kind of end up in the same place as we speak right now. But Bam is very interesting with Jimmy Butler because those are those are two perimeter dogs who are down to get nitty and gritty with a big man. They will doubt they're down to swipe. They're down to play aggressively. They're going to make things uncomfortable for not just Philly, but even Milwaukee or um, Indiana, whatever team maybe has a a bigger playmaker or a bigger star, like in stature physically. um, Both of those guys fear nobody. So I think that's really good for Miami. And Gordon Dragic coming off the bench, I think that's really good too because let's just use the Lakers again as an example they are pretty depleted at guard, and Miami has the ability to pull a start, a legitimate starting point guard off of their bench to run a second unit. So, I mean, Lou Williams technically does the same thing, but he's not running a unit. He's there to score. Um, Gordon Dragic can legitimately 
be a floor general who can score too. Um, but against out of shape second unit players, I keep saying out of shape just because no matter how good a physical shape you've been in the past four months, if you're not running, playing basketball every single day, you're just not going to be in the same shape. And especially when you compare that to somebody who is about three fourths through a season, like that's the best shape you're going to be in. You're used to playing every other day. You're used to being tired. You're used to pushing through with whatever, you know, small little sniffle you might have. So that kind of conditioning is just gone. So Miami having a great second unit, that makes them interesting, but I just don't think they have the fuerte to really make the difference. You, sure. you brought up Houston. What do you think about Houston? Do you think that they could actually be interesting or they just sound interesting? I think Houston's got the potential to be really interesting based on how much they buy into the small ball lineup that they teased as the season was kind of winding down to the playoffs before everything was called off. I think what will happen, because I think the margins between the two L.A. teams is so small, is I could very much see the team that avoids playing Houston will be the representative from the Western Conference. And it's a question of, if we're just looking at it from a law of averages perspective, somebody's going to have to play Houston and somebody's going to have to play Denver. And I think if given that option to the two L.A. teams, I still think more often than not, teams would rather want to play Denver because we still are unsure about this novelty factor about how this tall ball lineup works. Because not only is Jokic the point guard, there's a different exertion that happens when you're the primary ball handler. And what we've expected from Nikolai Jokic is getting the ball in the high post and looking for his cutters. That's easy when your personnel and lineup is smaller. But if the land of the Giants is what Denver's philosophy is going to be going forward, I don't see big men making the same cuts the way little guys do because they're just there's more mass and there's more size for them to move in a quick direction. So I think Houston and their ability to hit threes is going to be very interesting. And I think they can be the dark horse. But that being said, if we look at the possibility of it, I think we're going to see yet another defeat in Houston. The question is, is it going to be as soul crushing as previous Houston defeats where every time we think James Harden's finally got that supporting cast or he's finally gotten that killer instinct, he wilts under pressure. And can he do this with Russ, who is arguably his boy from Oklahoma City? And I think they're both Los Angeles natives. So they've had that AAU bond as well. So this is, to me, as close of a final excuse as James Harden is going to get in terms of saying, yeah, you know, I would have won this series, but this happened. He is going to be under the greatest deal of scrutiny for a player not in those big three teams that we mentioned. And I'm wondering now, is it going to turn into another concept of James Harden is a choker? And this is the most recent example of that. They're going to be a great team to watch. But go ahead, Robbie. No, I just don't think I, I just don't think that Houston has even a slim chance uh, because for what you just said, I think the opposite just just in Denver's example, because Bull Bull and the stretch mark five, who's now skinny, they both are so skinny, for lack of a better word, that in long, that even if you get a couple steps on them, they have the reach to still kind of contest. And when you compare that to Houston, PJ Tucker is not fast. Like he's not end of end of sentence. He's just not very fast. He's not going to beat 
I don't think he's going to be able to beat Bull Bull, who was like, what, 20, maybe even like 19 years old and has eight inches on him, <laughs> nine inches on him, is going to even be able to really get past him, even if he gets past him. So that's where the evolution of Bull Bull, even in the next five years, is going to be really interesting to watch because there isn't really a space to play two guys that big. But if your second guy is still that fast, I think Giannis, what if Bull Bull just gets a little bit more meat on him like Giannis did? Well, Giannis got a lot more meat, but um, just puts a little bit more meat on him and gets a little bit faster. That could be something incredibly scary. And to where you're not thinking of him as a big, you're thinking of him as just Bull Bull. Like bull position, like Giannis has, and he is going to be that very interesting test case because the most important way for a ideology to take place is watching the younger players react to what they're seeing on the professional level. So if I'm a seven foot four kid and I'm watching Bull Bull now run the floor like a two or a three. I at least have that confidence in my skill to say, yeah, you know what? I can also do this because this is how that game is evolving. And the craziest thing about Bull Bull is not the fact that he's 19 or he can have that three point range like his daddy did, but the fact that his wingspan is seven foot eight. And we used to herald Giannis for having the seven foot three wingspan, but this dude is adding an additional half of a ruler there. And they are going to be a scary team. It's just a question of when are they going to be scary? I think Jokic's stamina is going to be the most important thing for me to watch for them because if he can show that he can handle being the preliminary ball handler, and even if it's in little bits and spurts as being the primary point guard, they are going to be as challenging of a point guard matchup for a LeBron Laker team or a uh, I'm sorry or a Kawhi Paul George Clipper team because how do you even defend that because more than likely if you're the Lakers or the Clippers you're going to send your respective Morris brother out there to try to hold Jokic but what separates Jokic from the fact that all other big men is his vision which makes him probably the most uniquely talented, skilled person to be point guard because the one thing a great point guard should have is vision, and we can't deny Jokic's vision, and it'll be really interesting to see. So Denver is very much a possible glimpse into what the future of basketball may look like, where it goes back to a conversation that you and I had in a previous podcast where we're going to start thinking about these guys in terms of their own skill set and no longer in under those concepts of, okay, I want a pass-first point guard or I want this criteria-specific position player. Yeah, man. I mean, Bull Bull definitely could be the future. We're, we're living in Giannis's future now. We haven't even really brought up the reigning MVP and his Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, for, for as much as I love the Lakers, I really don't think – they're going to be able to beat the Bucks as they currently stand without really? two of their best guards. I, re- I really don't like this is Giannis's time. Like if he can't capitalize in this situation, being in a bridge season with an older LeBron without him having as much help, like cool. You add Dion waiters and you add J.R. Smith, but they are just not, they're not, there's they're both streaky scores. They're both microwave scores. Shout out to Vinny Johnson. Um, they're just not going to be able to be the second true, you know, ball handler behind LeBron, like Rondo and Avery Bradley were, they were both like point guard, you know, one B and one C. 
So like once you lose that, it's all in LeBron's hand because I don't want Jr. bringing the ball up every time. Can't have Kuzma do it every time. Like it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they relieve LeBron. And if they can't relieve LeBron, like I think Giannis is just going to Giannis and the Bucks are just going to eat that up. Like he's so big, man. Go ahead. It's like I, I'm going to be shocked if the Bucks don't win. No, no, I'm going to call a couple questions so you have the ISO that you need on the wing like LeBron does. So are you not confident, I guess, in the Caruso revolution being at best like a temporary stopgap when LeBron needs maybe three or four minutes of a breather as your secondary ball? I was wondering what your thoughts were on Caruso as a secondary ball handler, even if it's for, let's say, two to three minutes at a time, because you are going to need to give LeBron that rest as he's getting older. Oh, I mean, I love Caruso. I just don't want him bringing the ball up the entire time. I think he's best catching it in the half court and either making a drive to the basket, which he's very, very good at, extremely athletic, or making a pass out to either Anthony Davis or one of the other scorers. I don't want him having that kind of responsibility quite yet, but who knows? I mean, you can't, you can't wait for, you you can't wait forever to be ready for for something, right? You have to take a risk and kind of put yourself into a situation to grow. So maybe this is his situation to grow and where he has to do it. But um, I'm not completely convinced that he can be the auxiliary ball handler behind LeBron. Okay. I had one more question for you because I knew you felt strongly about Milwaukee, but I didn't know you felt this strongly about it. I'm in complete agreement with you. If Giannis can't get it done this year, I don't know what other year he can do it from. And it's not even a question of the fact that you've got that aging LeBron or a kind of injury inconsistent team in the Clippers because we know both Kawhi and PG have had their in and outs with the injury report. I'm looking at it strictly from the Eastern Conference perspective. There is such a gap right now between Giannis and whoever you think the second best player in the East is. And for me, the only concerns I have about Milwaukee is how do the other guys hold up? Chris Middleton has had a great year. I want to see if he can prolong that in the playoffs. But to a point that we had mentioned earlier, we don't even have a Kyrie or a KD led net squad to give them even a thought of a challenge. So, I'm looking at it from the perspective of I don't want to be the Skip Bayless to Giannis, but if he can't do it now, when are we going to see it from him? Because this is tailor-made for his ascendancy. Yeah, it it really is tailor-made for it. I I think the answer is there's not going to be another time. So if it doesn't happen now, maybe he takes his talents elsewhere. I mean, I never like playing that will he, won't he Sure. in game this far or this, I mean, this early, but um, I, I just, I also don't know what he would do if he can't wrap it up in this situation. So do you think the expectation for Giannis coming into this playoff is finals or bust? Because anything less than a finals appearance is going to hinder him in the negative. And are we finally going to see the, first rumblings of that Giannis backlash that inevitably comes from every single NBA player that we've ever loved and admired. Man, I would say championship or bust. Like last year was finals or bust and they busted. So I don't think you can have a follow-up season with the same end goal as the season before. Like you, you, you got to skip that baby step and go right to the big boy table. Like, 
there's there's no excuse for Giannis to not be in the finals. Like that that's a given. Like he needs to win the actual championship. No, I mean, it's going to be a passing of the torch moment because the other things we were looking at from an odds perspective was potential NBA finals matchups. And right now a Bucks Lakers bet of a final matchup would net you $300 if you bet 100. And then the next biggest odd or the next smallest odds rather would be Milwaukee against the Clippers at 350. So there is an assumption, an overwhelming thought even that Milwaukee will be your Eastern Conference representative representative and i hope that's true because i do want to see Giannis on that platform on that stage because he truly has been the evolution of what we want our basketball players to play like because he has that size and strength of a four or possibly a three but now he's added that range of a two and he's handled the ball and it'll be interesting to see what he does because last year's playoffs while great for Kawhi's legacy we kind of forget how much of a disappointment that was for Giannis. So I'm glad you brought that up, Robbie, because it's only going to make his inevitable result this year look even more amplified or more discouraged. I mean, if you can't do it with no Kevin Durant, like you're not going to do it when Kevin Durant comes back. Um, I think a lot of people have just completely forgot about Kevin or they think that when he comes back, he's not going to be the same Kevin. I would not bet against Kevin Durant especially now that LeBron is not in the East and it's just him and Giannis over there. I mean, the Celtics are really cool. The 76ers are really cool, but nobody on either one of those teams are Kevin Durant. Like I'll I'll take this to the grave, but Kevin Durant's the best peer scorer, regardless of position ever, like to do it from when he was 19 years old to where he is now consistently be this great. When you start off as one of the best scorers, when you, as a rookie, you start off as a beast and you just take it up from there. Like people sleep on Kevin Durant, man. Like I, I would not want to be trying to win my first championship when he entered the league. You, you have to have it before. And he is the closest thing we see to a matchup for Giannis because they're doing a lot of the same things in terms of handling the ball. And they're these long, lanky defenders that are a little bit better than what we give them credit for. But who would you rather have? Would you rather have Kyrie and all of his idiosyncrasies as your second banana? Or would you want an unproven commodity in Chris Middleton? Because I may not be the biggest Kyrie fan in the world. He still allowed Cleveland to win a title by hitting arguably the greatest shot in that franchise's history. And it's going to be sad if Giannis doesn't get there. So I'll sound like a broken record, but I want to see what happens because what can he, what else can he do? Because he has no help in my mind and his squad is eerily reminiscent to me of a Mo Williams Cavalier squad that met the Spurs in 07. And it's nice that they got there, but that truly speaks to how transcendent of a talent their number one option was in this case, Giannis. So we'll have to wait and see. Is there any other team that you want to just give an extended look through while we're still talking about the bubble playoff scenarios? No, not really. But like, I just want to kind of finish up that Kevin Durant thought like, when he comes back, I think even now, I think Kevin Durant's better than Giannis. Like if Kevin Durant can be healthy, he is the best player in the NBA. Better than Kawhi at this stage, mm-hmm. better than LeBron. Like 
even if you put one, I think it is one on one, like you isolate Kevin Durant being guarded by Giannis Antetokounmpo for as great and as long as Giannis is, we've now seen like, you know, 12 years of no being, nobody being able to stop Kevin Durant. He's too tall, jump shots too pure, handles too good. Like, I, I don't care who you, who you are. Like, you, nobody can check Kevin Durant other than Kevin Durant's legs from a from, from a health standpoint. So the Bucks just really need to do it. I hope they don't because I want the Lakers to win, but they they need to, or else they're going to have a next. They're going to have a year and a half of people saying, "Will he? Won't he leave?" When it comes to Giannis. So, any other teams you want to touch on, though? I think we talked a lot about the two L.A. teams. We talked about Giannis. We went through our respective dark horses in the East and the West. So I'll use this opportunity to kind of pick your brain because you are obviously one of my sneaker gurus in life. What are we expecting to see from a sneaker perspective? I know we kind of touched on it earlier, and LeBron specifically tends to wear his soldier line during the playoffs. So are we going to see similar developments now with regards to that or anything we should look out for from a sneaker perspective? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a lot to look at. Um, let's just start. We've been talking a lot about L.A. Um, LeBron has been seen wearing the LeBron 18. So I wouldn't be surprised if that shows up on court. He's been wearing it off court while he wears the 17 low end game. Kawhi might break out the Omnis low. He might break out his second signature model. We're yet to see. But... um the New Balance wave has been pretty real. Like Kawhi sent Dwight Howard a whole bunch of New Balance gear. Looks like he's trying to recruit him over to, over to that squad. But uh, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens on the New Balance front. Um, Converse debuted their new All-Star BB Evo, which is going to be worn by Kelly Oubre Jr. and SGA. I know he's one of your favorite players from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, that's going to be a really great shoe. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a pair from them and like a Kobe shoe mixed with the most fine tuned converse there's ever been. So I don't think you can give a higher compliment Robbie based on your sneaker preferences and your love of the Mamba. I know you have had multiple Kobe's in your life. So it's, it's, it feels like a Kobe eight, but just, uh, more modernized. So I'm really excited to see that. Sign me up then, because if that's what you're telling me, then I definitely have to cop. It, it's a great shoe. I, I've never um, really thought Converse would be um, relevant in terms of like not signature players, but players on their roster. You know, it was, it was Matt Bonner for for a while before. Uh, no, he was on New Balance. Pardon me, but Converse like never has had anybody in the modern I think post 2000 anybody, but. Kelly Oubre and Shai Gilchrist Alexander, I think could be two of the most entertaining players to watch, you know, five years from now, three years from now. Um, they're both really interesting. So to see that shoe and that line grow with those players is really cool. And we didn't even bring up Draymond Green, who's on Converse. Uh, what else do we have? So, the man we spent a lot of time talking about and kind of hating, um, only hating on because we expect greatness from this great player. Um, the Greek Freak 2 by Nike 
has now been seen in the bubble. Um, I'm not completely sure how I feel about it from a design perspective, but it's out there in the universe. So we have that. Uh, we're going to have tons of Air Jordan PEs from the likes of Jason Tatum and Zion Williamson. I think those are going to be really fun to watch. Um, John Morant's going to keep pushing the new Nike technology, like the Adapt BB type stuff. I think he's going to be, you know, Kyrie was the hyper dunk face before he had his own signature shoe. And so was Paul George for that, you know, for the sake of conversation. I think they're really going to use um, the Memphis point guard as like the BB Adapt kind of spokesperson because he's the new wave of point guard. That's the new wave of technology. I think that all makes sense. But um, any any shoe or player on your radar or, or any thoughts to what I just said? No, I have a lot of questions for you in the sense that I'm trying to learn a little bit more about the sneaker game. Do you see any young players kind of playing their way up to a sponsorship or a signature line deal? Because in my mind, I'm really interested to see how Wonderboy, a.k.a. Luka, Donkic plays because this is also the first time we are going to see him in a competitive setting like this where it's a pressure cooker but he has that ability to truly make the players around him better in a way only LeBron can so I'm interested to see what he does and more importantly how does Jordan supply him on his feet I expect he's going to have some pretty dope player additions as well and then also Zion, the hype around Zion and Ja are going to be at a pinnacle. So they're both creative players. They both have that ability to tell stories with what they're wearing on their feet. And I think if we do get that Thanos player edition or if Ja turns into Mr. Adapt BB and they can kind of work into that con the concept of him having this machine-like intensity and efficiency, then I think those are probably two of the players that we will say this is their breakout moment in terms of getting that signature line. Yeah, um, I think Luca definitely is the main person to have a chance of getting a signature shoe sooner than later. I don't think Zion will just because you can use him and Jason Tatum as like the heir parents to Jordan himself. So you probably want to keep them in their own PEs of signature Jordan lines, you know, the next, the, the 35, the 36, etc. But Luca is so international that I, I think you need to have him, with his own shoe because that's going to sell literally across the world and it'll sell across the world before he's even at his peak greatness. Like LeBron, Steph Curry, Kobe, James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, they're global because they became, I mean, they panned out to be great. Um, him already being international and being his own level of great. I think as Luca has even scratched his own top, Scratched, yeah, scratched the, the surface of what he could be even now. So he's ready for his own shoe because it's only going to get bigger and the market's already there. So, man, I, I don't, I think from a, from a sales standpoint and a marketing standpoint, Luca really is like sky's the limit. Like he has no. No, no ceilings like a little Wayne mixtape. No. 
No, it's going to be interesting because I can't remember a international player commanding the amount of respect and attention Luca has. And more importantly, I can't think of an international player having that much of a sneaker impact in terms of what they're wearing. So he is going to be that test case where similar to what we're going to watch Bull Bull and Jokic do in the next five years, I'm really interested to see how does Jordan Brand market the diamond that they have in not only Zion and Jason Tatum, but Luca, because there is that untapped potential that you were alluding to. And we will see because I think a lot of what Luca's success will also be dominant and driven on is the fact that are we going to see the Porzingis that we saw in New York? Because I know if anything is to be learned from being a part of the sneaker news family or sneaker history family, it's the fact that we have an overwhelming fan base in New York. So here's your obligatory New York Knicks reference. It was when Chris Stapps was on your team and you guys were interesting. And I think he will dictate how far Luca goes as a player, which will ultimately dictate how far Luca goes as a sneaker salesman. Yeah, man. I mean, I just really think, it could go as high as they want it to. I mean, they don't even really have to like his game and just where he's from. And the fact that he speaks all these, like he can just be anything. Um, Porzingis, who knows? He, he's a unicorn for a reason. You just, you just don't know if he's real or if he's going to show up or if he's going to be healthy. But if he is any of those things, he is an absolute monster. Uh, before we kind of, slip towards the end here. Anything else you want to bring up? We kind of talked about uh, Kawhi and LeBron, but not in too much detail. Do you want to, any thoughts on them kind of before we, before we, uh, before we head out here? Sure. You had mentioned KD and I knew you were a fan of KD, but I didn't realize the level of your fandom and your appreciation. I think that's probably the more appropriate term to use. I was just wondering in the immortal hot take era that we live in right now, if Kawhi is that first player to get that third ring in a third city, does that vault him over KD in your mind? Because I do agree with you. I think KD was probably the best closer we've seen in basketball because Inevitably, even that great Warriors team that we have kind of forgotten about and with great reason because of their tremendous drop off, he was always the one that got them that bucket that they needed. And we are forgetting about KD's brilliance. But if Kawhi can do that unthinkable and if he can beat LeBron to doing that unthinkable, I'm going to sense that there will be some talk that Kawhi might be the second best player of this LeBron era. Or do you think even with that being done, KD is going to at worst hold that number two spot? I don't think Kawhi winning is going to be able to be better. This isn't to put him above KD because I mean, I'm not the biggest KD fan, but just I, I recognize what's there. Like there will never be another Kevin Durant. There's never been another Kevin Durant. Other people have shot Dirk or Joel Embiid, two very different players, but they're around the same size as Kevin Durant. He can do both of what they do as efficiently as both of them. Like it's, it's just crazy what Kevin Durant can do. Just Nick Wright brought up this point because Colin Cowherd asked him pretty much the same question you just asked me. And if I believe Kevin Durant has 10 all-star appearances and Kawhi is like four. Even if KD were to retire right now, 
the Kawhi has even been the best player, like a top player more than four times in, in his, in his career. So like we get that he came from a system and that you can't be great right away, but winning all three different championships and three different seasons and three different teams, three different cities doesn't make you a better player than somebody else who is just such a generational anomaly. There's always going to be great defender scores. Like not to take away from what Kawhi does. He's probably one of the best at doing what he does, but you just, Kevin Durant, there's nothing that Kawhi Leonard can prove to me that would make me think either from a statistical or a winning or a championship ring count standpoint that makes me think he's better than Kevin Durant or ever will be like Kawhi. He carried the Spurs for like one year healthy. He carried the Raptors for one year kind of healthy and he's played exceptionally well for the Clippers half the season, one year, Kevin Durant has been, I mean, he led the Sonics. I mean, the Sonics weren't good. They weren't winning, but he was leading that team from rookie year. Like he is just, I mean, we can go on and on, but just, I don't love Kevin Durant. I just love what he's done. Like you put so much on him at an early age. Like, Hey, we got rid of Ray Allen. We got rid of everything. This franchise sucks ass. Um, come save us. And he literally did. So it's like, Kawhi, it's great. He's great. But just Kevin Durant has done so much already and probably still will do so much more that I, I don't think Kawhi is on the same same level as KD. Just we haven't seen KD in a while. So it's like, what have you done for me recently, lately? And the, and the, and the answer is not a lot. No, I think that's expertly said, Robbie. And to that point where you made that comparison in terms of his scoring ability to that Venn diagram middle of Dirk Nowitzki and Joel Embiid, you're absolutely right. He can beat you a thousand different ways on the court. And the most important thing about it is it all looks fluid. For all of Dirk's brilliance and all of Joel Embiid's raw power, there's still something that looks a little disjointed or forced. KD plays basketball the way I think God intended it to, and I apologize if that sounds a little too hyperbolic, but there's just a smoothness and a refined nature to his game that if aliens came down tomorrow and they asked me, what does a great basketball player look like on the offensive end? I would just show them every YouTube highlight of Kevin Durant because he is fluidity personified in the game of basketball. So I just wanted to add a little cherry on top to the beautiful cake that you built to Mr. Durant, but that's all I had to say for this topic. So I'll leave it back to you, Robbie. Yeah, man, I called, I was one of the people that called Katie a snake. I sold every, every Kevin Durant shoe I own, owned. I don't have any more. Um, but that, that doesn't stop me from just what you said. He is the most perfect looking basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Like, fluidity and and it's not just the fluidity but just he's so tall and has such good handle and can make any and every shot it's just it's it's amazing we'll we'll end there kevin durant's amazing can't wait to see him play next year um just this year is going to be a very interesting end to a very tumultuous season I was going to let you slide in there for oh, one more. Sorry, so sorry. Um, no, I think that's uh, 
No, you're good. You're good. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and thank you, Ro, for jumping back in and talking sports with me. Thank you for the opportunity as always, Robbie. Yeah. Make sure you're following at sneaker history. You can find me at R A H B E E seven Oh two row. Where can they find you on Twitter? I'm at Roheezy R O H E E Z Y. And on Instagram, I'm at row at M 13. Perfect. Well, Hey, thanks everybody for tuning in to the know your roots podcast and everybody have a great time watching NBA basketball again. What up y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneaker history. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as five bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game, or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.